The goal of a story is to make people feel something. You can make your audience feel something, have an emotional experience. You've accomplished your goal with your story. Hello and welcome to the Leverage Lead Podcast. This is the show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker and today's guest is Jesse Refson. Now, Jesse's sold a film to Netflix, a book to Chronicle, a TV show to Disney, and now he's on a mission to help teach the power of storytelling for marketing brands and products. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. So, I, I mean, we have to start in the most logical place. Tell us a story about how you got here and kind of how you made this transition from entertainment now to what you're doing now. Yeah, so I spent about 10 years in the world of entertainment, writing, um, producing stories, like you said, film, TV, books, a lot of different forms of the story you can take. Uh, and I always, at that time, thought that I was building that craft just for that. You, you tell stories, you're in entertainment, you're in Hollywood, and that's kind of it. I eventually burnt out on, on just the entertainment industry. Everyone kind of knows it's pretty toxic. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with it. I ended up getting so stressed by the whole industry that I became like physically ill, and it was just a really rough time. Um, so I knew it was time to go. When COVID hit, it was sort of, to my mind, my like moment to leave, essentially. So I left LA, I left entertainment, um, and I went into marketing, I started a solo agency. And I realized that when I did that, storytelling is so much more applicable than just entertainment. And it really is actually a really good way to just grab attention, grab high quality attention and form connections with people. So the more I played around that space, the more I found that my background in entertainment was really an asset there. Mm. And then I decided, I, hey, why don't I bring this to the masses, show people how it's done, or at least give them some of the benefit of my experience. So I think there's a lot of people talking about storytelling on Twitter, on social media, just in marketing in general, but not a lot of people who have spent so long steeped in just the craft of it. So right. that's where I'm at now, trying to bring just that perspective, that entertainment industry perspective on storytelling to marketing for people trying to build personal brands, sell products, services, things like that. So I, I know kind of part of what took you out of this world was like you in, in experienced some really crazy like situations. I, I think at one point there was like a, a broken gate bar or something that was involved in something that you were like, t tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So entertainment's kind of famous for having really big personalities, right? And it, it kind of just cultivates that in people because when you have a success, if you're a, a writer, a director, a producer, an actor, what have you, you suddenly just get surrounded by people who are just yes, yes, all the time, right? Because they don't want to lose their whatever, riding on your coattails or their association with you. And if you just keep on producing hits or creating hits, you're always going to get that yes around you. Um, so there are a lot of producers and there are, to be clear, there are plenty of really awesome people in entertainment the vast majority of people in entertainment are just great people. But you get these really powerful people in the industry who are a little difficult to work with. Um, and, you know, I told this story recently on Twitter, but I my first, like, entry-level job in entertainment was I was a, a studio page at Paramount Studios. Being a studio page is literally the bottom, bottom rung. It's <laughs> There's just nothing below it. You're, you're basically running studio tours, running audience seating for audience shows, and then every little, like, odds and end job on the studio lot that no one else wants to do falls to the pages. Uh, and you get really 
cozy with the security team because they're kind of also always around the lot with you. And so I would talk to security guards about all of these people that would come on and off the lot. And there's one person in particular, I'm not going to name their name, but they're pretty famous for being difficult to work with. And they would do this thing where they just resented coming into the studio. They didn't like having to waste their time, so to speak, being on, on lot in person. So every time they would try to come onto the lot, instead of waiting in line and like doing the whole, like, here's my ID, security gate, clearance thing, they would just gun it down the street at the wooden security arm that would go up and down. Oh my gosh. And it was like security always had to be on guard for this person knowing that when they came, the only thing they could do was lift the gate and like get them through. And if they missed, <laughs> and if they were too slow, and this happened, they would just fly through the gate, break the wooden arm, and then just like careen off into the lot. And they're powerful enough that there was no ramifications. It was just like, great, they broke another wow. security arm, fix it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's just one of the stories that's like, there's just so many like examples of that. And honestly, I'll say that that is a really sort of colorful example of the toxicity that goes on out there. But there's so many sort of more minor occurrences, like asking people to work for free with the promise of work down the line that never materializes or um, just a variety of things that makes it a pretty difficult industry to work in. And so, I mean, basically experiencing enough of those was, that was basically your turning point, right? Yeah. Also with an idea, with keeping like, my eye on the pulse of the industry and where it was headed, it just started to become a little bit more, it's, it's pretty apparent even from outside the industry that what's getting made these days are big blockbusters, sequels, um, remakes of existing properties. There's not as much space for truly independent films, TV shows, things like that to sort of bubble up to the surface, which is fine. It's what people want. It's really successful right now. Totally get it. But it's a little bit of a less exciting place to work in because you're just kind of rehashing the same ideas over and over again in a lot of ways. Hey, do you want to get parts of these interviews that aren't available anywhere else? Where you can join the Leverage 3 email list and get access to exclusive content just for subscribers. So go on over to leverage3podcast.com and sign up today. Okay. So in terms of a story, like let's talk about what are all the different things that you can do with a story? So removing ourselves a little bit more from entertainment and now kind of into the, you know, marketing and branding and, and, and business aspects of it. Like, what do you see in a story that maybe others who aren't as adept in it uh, don't see? Yeah. So I think a lot of people, when they come to storytelling, they think of it as, let me tell you something that happened. Or if it's a fictional story, let me tell you something that I made up that sounds like it could have happened. Um, which is such a surface level understanding of what a story is. And I would say that at its base level, my favorite definition of a story, and this is a director I used to work with was really adamant that this is all a movie is, and I really do agree with him. It's a device that creates emotions in people. That's really all it is. And when we go to see a movie, when we read a book, when we consume any kind of story type content, we are doing so with the promise that we're going to feel something. And so you can kind of use that as your compass for how to know whether you're telling a successful story or not. Are you arising emotions in people? 
And there are all sorts of frameworks and structures and things that over the years we've kind of come to understand help to do that and make for a successful story in that sense. But at the end of the day, if you're recounting events or creating a fictional sequence of events in a way that people can actually feel emotionally connected to, that to me is a, is a successful story. Okay. But how do you relate that to the business aspect of it, right? So let's say that I have, I think a personal brand, I don't want to say it's too easy, but let's just take a product first for a second. Like, and you, you make up all the details here, but, um, I'm trying to build a brand or build interest around a product. What's the, the mechanics of storytelling in order to draw out what people might connect with in that product? Yeah. So I think it can be, it can be trickier when you're dealing with just a product. Right. And I think, okay. which, is, which is not to say that we, it's a, it's a good route. It's a good mind exercise to go down, uh, but it's trickier because when you're dealing with a personal brand, you can tell your personal story. That's a pretty easy win. You can connect to people that way. When you're telling the story of a product, it's a little bit different because what you're trying to do in that case, I mean, at the end of the day, you're always trying to grab quality attention. And so you've got whatever, like a, a actually a really good example of this is the water brand Liquid Death. Have you heard of this one? Oh yeah, yeah. So. I had a very like, whatever, tumultuous journey with my like internal experience <laughs> of that brand because I saw it the first time. And for the people that don't know, Liquid Death, you probably do know, actually, you've probably seen this on shelves at this point, but Liquid Death is a, a water, it's just water and it's in a can. <laughs> That's the thing everybody says. Look, it's just it's water. Just That's water. all it is. <laughs> it's just water. Um, it's in a can and it's got like a very like stylized skull on it and it's very countercultural. Like they're like branding's very countercultural and like all this stuff, but it's just water. It's just a can of water. It's all the product is. And so the first time I saw this and it's more expensive than other water too. Like you're paying a premium for the, the branding. The first time I saw it on the shelves, I hated it. I was like, Oh God, like give me a break. Like you're trying to sell me water and like, you're trying to make me spend more money on this water just so I can have the privilege of this like skull on this water. And I was like, ah, oh, God, no, no, thank you. And then the next time I saw it, I was like, oh, still with the liquid death. Like, why are people drinking this? And then the next time I saw it, it was like an influencer on YouTube drinking it just sort of casually. And all along the way, I'm starting to have this internal story about this company where I'm like who are these people even like who, like why are they like creating this product of like this can of water with this skull on it like why do I even care about this and of course it's classic marketing where I'm paying so much attention to this brand to this idea of this 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 water product which is like there's so many bottled water companies out there but for some reason I'm honing in on this and then at some point, I've had all this sort of like prep attention being paid to it from me. At some point, I happen upon an interview with the founder uh, of the company. And he starts talking about why he created it and what's, what's the reason why this product exists. What's he's hoping, what is he hoping to accomplish with it? What's their brand story as a company? And I'm listening. I've gone from someone who hates seeing this on the shelves. Now you're captivated. I'm listening. I'm spending my <laughs> hard-earned time just like 
listening to this guy talk about their story about like, well, you know, we thought it'd be cool to just try something different with water and like we're just this scrappy underdog and we're starting to make moves, we're sponsoring events. I think within a few days after that, watching that YouTube video, I went out and bought my first can of liquid death and I drank it and it's, I can confirm it's just water. There's nothing special about it, <laughs> but I didn't hate it anymore. And I had, I, you know, mission accomplished. I purchased it and it was all through this first, it was my story coming to it of like, well, I had a preconceived notion about the brand, but that's fine. It was, it was a negative story too. I was like, this brand is stupid. I don't want this, but it was enough little crumbs of attention that eventually I became interested in the brand's story itself, in the product's story. Mm. And, you know, I couldn't tell you word one about the guy who created it, like the founder. I don't know his personal brand story, but I do know the story of Liquid Death. I do know the, the origin right. story of the brand. And that story was ultimately what got me connected enough to it to make a purchase. Gotcha. Well, I mean, that product seems like it's the ultimate curiosity loop, right? You have this ridiculous name. And you have this ridiculous product. It's water in a can and it's called like, so is it an energy drink? Right. You know, it, it, is it, is there alcohol in it? Like I don't under, you know, and there's so many questions that you just have to have answered in, in a product like that, that it's, it's, it's totally incredible. And they do a really masterful job of giving you the, the hook on the can. It's not just the skull. If you like read the, they've got little tidbits of story on there, little like hints at a, at a larger thing going on so that you are a little bit curious to go into it. That as opposed to what I don't like is when you get like a bag of chips. It's just a regular bag of chips. And on the back is like our story. We were founded in like this <laughs> small town and like we make the best potato chips in the world. It's such a bland, flavorless story that it's like, okay, that's, I don't care. You're not arising any emotions right. in me. Whereas this story was more like, we just thought it'd be fun to do something different. And it's actually kind of a fun story because they're just like, we just want, we're just interested to see what would happen if we put a, like a big, like scary skull on a bottle of water and like called it liquid death. It's like so counterintuitive <laughs> right. to what water is. We just thought it'd be fun right. and like see what happens. And that's kind of, there's like a levity to that, that it, for me, I was kind of like, oh, actually now I kind of like this and I'm kind of like interested in this. I'm kind of laughing along with their story. And then at that point it's mission accomplished again, because I'm feeling something yes. in that, in that case it's humor. Right. Okay. Let's, let's take something. I don't know. Well, no, I guess you already did it. We, water. It's a basic element of the earth. It makes up most of our body and you, you gave us an example of, of an incredible way to tell a story in order to, to, to do that. And so I, I guess, you know, thinking about different elements of story and, and being able to, to pull out emotion, when you're thinking about crafting a story for something, are there, I mean, th there must be a process that you follow that says, okay, you know, I want to create curiosity. I want to inject uh, a certain amount of uh, emotion into this. I want to at least attempt to elicit some sort of response. What's that process like for you? Yeah, so very classically, everybody says first draft, it's just a brain dump, right? And that, and I agree with that. Just get it out on paper. It's so much easier to edit and get to a final version when you've got some raw material to work with. Um, so if you've got a story in your head, if, you, if you're trying to create something, just sort of barf it out. Just get it onto paper. It's going to be bad. It's fine. Just throw it out there. Um, then when you come back, throw it in a drawer for a day or whatever, and then come back to it. And when you come back to it, 
one of the key things to keep in mind, in my opinion, is that everything you put on paper or like, you know, everything you write or create, it needs to have a purpose. And if you can't hone in on the purpose for every, literally like every like word in your sentence or every sentence in your paragraph or every paragraph in your story, if you don't have a justification for why it's there, then it shouldn't be there. And this, I think, is where many people go awry with writing in general, but storytelling even more specifically. There is so much in it. They put so much in it that just it doesn't have a reason to be there. They have no goal with that particular sentence. And for that reason, it, it just kind of sits on the page. And when people consume it, they don't really know what to do with that internally. And what it ends up doing is causing disinterest. It just dilutes the purpose of your story to the point where people will read a few lines of it, not feel anything, and then just move on and stop reading. So, so the emotion, the, the draw to emotion, you're saying like that really needs to be in your, in your hook? It's not that the, um, it, the purpose doesn't have to be emotion for every line. Like the overall purpose, the reason you're writing the story is to create emotional response in others. But the, in the story itself, you need to know what each part of the story is doing. So the first part is, you're right, the hook, right? The first part is this person comes, is in a state of not paying attention to you or to your story. And the first thing you need to do is get them to pay attention. So you need some kind of hook in. Once you've got that hook in, you need to follow it up immediately with the next thing. And depending on the story, it can be a variety of things. If your hook, for instance, is... Um, like, bam, the punch hit me like a sack of flour and I hit, the I hit the floor. The hook is like, okay, you're in the middle of some event that's happening that's, okay, you've got my interest for a millisecond. Like, I'm, I'm willing to read the next sentence. That's all <laughs> I'm willing to do right now. So the next sentence needs to keep them going. And the next sentence maybe needs to... See, we make the mistake, I think, oftentimes of thinking, okay, I, I hit him with a really good hook. Like, boom, I got punched in the face. That's enough to like carry the momentum through to the rest of the story, which is not true at all. And in fact, probably the next line should even raise the stakes even more. <clears throat> like, I got hit with a punch and I hit the ground. And then don't just go back to like boring old story mode and think you've given me enough interesting stuff. Like, give me something else interesting too. And it's like, you know, the like giraffe that hit me was like running around the ring in you know celebration thinking he had knocked me out now i'm kind of <laughs> like well, okay so wait what you got punched by a giraffe what happened like and then you go to the next one and it's like i know very particularly first line is there to draw attention second line is there to draw more attention and also to promise like hey I didn't just give you one piece of interesting content and then I'm going to just go back to boring story mode. You can trust me to deliver interesting things throughout the story. There's going to be more to come. You know, it's almost a signal that you're in the hands of somebody who has storytelling down enough that you're going to enjoy this experience. Okay. Then the next line, maybe you're, now you're starting to create context. Like, okay, hold on, pause. Let me take you back to the start so you know what the hell's going on right now. And then you can rewind and then you can start with a more traditional storytelling structure, which is like you start with normal life, then there's an inciting incident, you go on a journey, and you reach some kind of climax. So if you don't know what you're doing with each line, then you're not going to be successful because people are just going to stop reading, essentially. Okay. So a couple different 
directions I, I want to go. So there's, I, there's at least, there's probably dozens of, of different types of stories, but there's at least two different types of stories that we could talk about. So there's, and I'm talking about, again, back to the context of business marketing, you know, working with brands, working products, things of that nature, right? So you have the transformation story where I started, uh, I knew nothing about storytelling. I started working with Jesse. Now, you know, I can tell all these different types of stories and people love my brand and all that kind of thing. Or there's, there's a thing like something happened in my life in the past and I want to tell you about that. Um, and here's a story. So is one of those better than the other? I would say that the context, those two contexts for stories, there's not necessarily one better than the other there. They both work pretty well. The framework for a story that works tends to work the best is one that probably almost everyone's heard of at this point. It's called the hero's journey. And you can tell any context in the form of the hero's journey. And sort of like Hollywood's like deep, dirty secret is every movie is just the hero's journey <laughs> retold over and over and over again. But the reason why that's done is because that is an effective story for getting us to take an emotional journey that hits a variety of really like hard notes. And at the end of the day, our lives are a collection of stories. We're, we're going on to various different adventures throughout our life. We're having successes. We're having failures. And we're working throughout it to overcome these difficulties to reach success or failure or whatever. Um, and so we resonate with that journey in a way that makes us tune in when we see somebody else talking about that journey. So whether it's your personal brand, whether it's just a, a thing that happened to you yesterday, if you can tell it in the framework of the hero's journey, it's going to work if you can do it authentically. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I, th I think that the hero's journey, uh, the, the Pixar, uh, what is it, the, the Pixar framework for storytelling or something like that, I think we hear about these a lot, but then don't get the, the sense of how someone who's not well adept at storytelling can use these effectively. So maybe between the, you might have it memorized. I, I know, you know, hero's journey is like, you know, the, the, the hero gets the calling, rejects the calling, and then, you know, meets a guide, has a conflict. What is it? Uh, questions them themselves, moves on to try Like, can you lay it out for us? Sure. Yeah. There's, um, there are certain details to a hero's journey, which is often used, which is not necessarily needed. Um, you know, the guide is one of them. Like th there are things like that in, a, in most hero's journey stories, at least in Hollywood, right. that you can take or leave. But I would say the basic core framework that is sort of the indispensable part of that story is you need to start somewhere. You need to start with normal life because stories are about change you change over the course of a story. So in order to, to track that change, we need to know where you started. You start with normal life and then something happens, an inciting incident. And there are like, in film at least, there's like beats in that how long this should happen. Like this is 10% into your movie, you get the inciting incident. Something is happening there. And you know, you, you kind of already called it out. It's oftentimes called the call to action. Something's happening that the hero, the main character in the story has to grapple with. Um, and then oftentimes they reject that call to action. They don't want to deal with it, but they're forced to do it for some reason. And at about the 25% mark in a film, they set off on this journey. You know, 
I could go through any number of films that do this. You talk about like Lord of the Rings, it's setting off with the ring and, you know, you can think of any movie and you can probably figure this out. And in fact, once you get adept at storytelling, you you can like, <laughs> you won't be able to unsee it where you'll just be in a movie theater and you'll be like, oh, okay, wow, we're already halfway through the movie. Cool. Like this, this beat is happening here. Um, or you're 25% in, you're like, I know exactly how this is going to end. So <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. And so, yeah, so you, you set off on this hero's journey. And basically what's happening over the course of the journey is your hero is encountering increasingly more difficult situations. The first situation they overcome, pretty simple, pretty easy. It's a little bit of a challenge, but it's not so big. It gets harder, it gets harder. And usually at the midway point in a hero's journey, you have a false victory. It seems like you've won. You seems like you've accomplished the task only to find out that not only have you not accomplished your task, but things are actually going to be way harder than you thought. And this sort of speaks to, you know, that silly example I came up with earlier about a punch in the face and it was a giraffe. It's not so important that like a giraffe, it being a giraffe is not harder necessarily, but it's sort of a plus one. And throughout a story, you're always trying to plus one, plus one, plus one. So we get to the halfway point of a story and you've seen your hero try to accomplish all these things and succeed to a fair amount. At that point, we're kind of bored with the hero winning and accomplishing things. We've, we've enjoyed that to an extent. It's fun to get some easy wins. But now we want to see them really struggle and we need to like make it even harder for them. So the next... 25% of your story between the 50% and the 75% mark is real struggle. We're talking like hard stuff and we're not sure if they're going to make it. To the extent that when you get to the 75% mark, which is the third act break in traditional storytelling, we have this moment called the all is lost moment. And this moment to me makes or breaks a story. There's a really clear moment where your hero, it basically is this point where they are, it's pretty clear they're not going to achieve their goal. It's pretty clear that whatever journey they set out on is not going to be accomplished. And this moment is a really good moment to showcase what a person is all about. We have a lot of platitudes in life that kind of indicate that this idea of you don't really find out who somebody is when things are going well. When things are going well, things are pretty easy and you can kind of get by projecting a version of yourself that you think people want to see. But when things are hard, when you really are down and out and you're on the floor, you've just been punched by the giraffe or whatever it is, <laughs> this is when you find out what people are made of. And so this part of a story is really telling and it's a really good part to connect with your audience. And it's honestly the part that will determine whether or not you are ultimately successful in connecting with your audience. Um, and then there's a rebirth moment where, hey, turns out they're not actually down and out. They have one more ounce, last ounce of strength in them. They're reborn and they, that energy takes them through the climax of the film where they ultimately achieve their goals and move on. So roll the credits for the matrix. We just, we just had that movie. Right I mean, there. yeah, literally roll the <laughs> credits for any, any movie pretty much. Um, but you know, people can leverage this in their own stories too. And you can tell it a million different ways for a million different stories, but it's so easy to take to, if you can think in that term, in that framework, you can think of your life in that way. And, you know, I can tell my story that way too. Like, 
I was in Hollywood for 10 years, or I guess I would start like I pre Hollywood, I was in I was in DC, and I was working in politics, and I didn't like it. I knew there was something more in my life. I found storytelling. And I worked at storytelling for years, selling along the way, having these um, successes, eventually getting to the point where I sold a film to Netflix, sold a book to Chronicle, sold a TV show to Disney, big success. And yet I still felt empty inside. And if I was going to make the story of my life in that portion of my life into like a story, that would actually be an all is lost moment where it feels like I've achieved all my goals and yet I'm not satisfied. And it seems like, well, if you've achieved your goals and you're not satisfied, then satisfaction cannot be found. All is really lost. Your ultimate goal of like finding purpose, finding meaning, finding achievement, it's not going to happen. And then you're reborn into this idea of like, well, maybe I actually need to like give up the one thing that was so important to me, being in the entertainment industry, this thing I'd worked at for a decade and like put all my energy into to be reborn into like a different phase of life. Um, so you can really contextualize your life story in this way in a variety of different ways if you are tuned into the framework of it. So that, that works great for a bio, for a life story, for getting people to know you in, in that regard. So let's just talk about Twitter. Like if, if I was going to use these techniques and this framework to help build engagement and build a brand on Twitter, how could I use that for something that's not necessarily my life story? Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> knowing the beats lets you, you don't have to go on the full journey. You can like do a lot of hand waving with little beats like that. As long as I always tell people the like condensed version for Twitter, the condensed version for like really quick attention is you start somewhere, you would encounter hard things, you overcome them, you end up better than you started. That's the four point process. And you can see the hero's journey in that, like you can see how it all kind of comes together, but it doesn't have to be this full rigmarole of like, I'm going to sit here for two hours, like watching this journey. It's just not that important. Right. Um, so I told this story the other day on Twitter where I was like, I was watching YouTube while I was eating a sandwich, um, get to the last bite of the sandwich, look down at it, realize the bread is completely moldy. Um, <laughs> not a good look, <laughs> oh, no. not something I want to repeat. <laughs> And so I, um, you know, learned my lesson there of like, hey, pay attention to life, pay attention to what you're doing, because otherwise you're going to eat moldy bread. And it's a very loose story framework, right? Like I started off in normal life, not eating moldy bread. I encountered the difficulty of, oh shit, I just ate a bunch of moldy bread. <laughs> and then I overcame it by being like, okay, I guess in the future I'm going to be paying more attention. And it's played for laughs. The emotion I'm trying to arise in that one is that it's a funny situation that we can all kind of be like, oh, that's, that's funny. And I could, certainly I've never done anything like that, but we probably all have in some way. Um, so that's kind of that journey in a nutshell. It's like a small version of that that, you know, is not a hero's journey traditionally, but is following that framework, so to speak. For those of you who are watching, you're already noticing, but for those of you that are listening, you don't know that I've just completely changed shirts because I'm trapped in my third floor office. It's like 90 degrees out and I'm <laughs> sweating so hard. And Craig was very gracious to say, hey, dude, you might want to change your shirt because <laughs> not a good look. So there's a story you'll be telling for a while. <laughs> this is yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, one of the things I want to follow up with was you're talking about, you know, you want to be able to tell the story of the transformation, right? 
Um, when you're in the intention seeking business of, you know, social media, working online, things of that nature, you, ha you have to start off with a hook. You have to up the ante, you know, you have to increase the stakes. So how do you do that? How do you put people right in the middle of, of something that you want them to pay attention to with at the same time, start with normalcy? Yeah. So how do you, how do you hook the attention from the start? How do you hook the attention from the start along with giving yourself room to show the transformation? Because uh, here's the way I think about it. One, one of my favorite lyrics um, off Metallica's uh, Black album is um, My Friend of Misery. And the, the first line is, you just stood there screaming. And I remember like when I first started paying attention to the actual words of that song, I was just like, wait, why is he screaming? What's going on? Like, it was like this incredible you know, curiosity loop at the, the first lyric of the song. Um, and you know, the answers come as, as you listen to the song, but that's like right in the middle of the action. Right. So how do you, how do you like balance those two? Yeah. So it's a classic, a classic way to hook attention is to start in the action and back out, which is kind of the device I use with the whole like giraffe punching thing. Right. It's a, it's a really good way to get people's attention. It's not the only way. And, um, there's a variety of other ways you can do it. The caveat I would say is that you need to understand the context of your relationship to your audience and how much you can leverage that to start your, to hook people in different ways. For example, if I'm, so I just read this book, Project Hail Mary. It's written by the same person who wrote The Martian, um, which was turned into that movie with Matt Damon. And I actually already liked his stuff, so I would have probably read it anyways, but he has a great device at the start of the story where basically a, um, the very beginning of it is a person waking up from a coma and has amnesia, has no, um, has no understanding of what, who they are, where they are, and they're starting to like piece it all together. And this is like a very tropey slash cliched device. Like we've seen millions of stories probably where people are like have amnesia. But the, right. <laughs> the interesting thing about it is the main character is finding out information at the same time as the audience. The main character is not ahead of the audience at all, which is a really good device for hooking attention because people are interested to learn at the same time as the main character, as the narrator. The thing I would say about that, though, is you can only leverage that if people are willing to start off from a place of sort of a small mystery and then grow from that. And I, I was with this guy because I'd read his stuff. I like his book. I like the movie, The Martian, all that. And if you are an established name, people will start small with you. You can make a story start really small. It can almost have no hook at all. You can just say, hey, like something very like delicate is happening. Let's explore this. The less established connection you have with your audience, the louder you have to be with your hook to get them mm -hmm. to pay attention to you from the start. So if you're on a place like Twitter where you're trying to get new audience members and you're kind of like competing with the entire like world essentially of like people <laughs> right. shouting their message, you need to be louder. You need to be um, thinking of the most provocative thing you can and then using that to start your story. And I always tell people, take whatever you want to start your story with and then make it even more ridiculous or even more exciting or even more like don't have no shame about like how crazy or weird or ridiculous you want to start your story with because unless you're 
you know, Quentin Tarantino or somebody who has like an established track record where I'll just go and watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. I don't really care. You are not, we're not Quentin Tarantino. We need to start our stories in very interesting, very ridiculous or very like intriguing ways to hook that attention. Okay. Now, when it comes to you, you, you've got the attention, you've created the story. You and I had a conversation uh, a couple weeks ago and you said something that I don't know I entirely agree with. So I want to play this out a little bit here. So you were saying that stories, let me frame it this way. When I'm trying to tell a story or trying to do something online, I always have this nagging thing in the back of my mind of I need to answer the question, what's in it for me for my audience? And since I'm not an entertainer and there, there is a comedian named Craig Shoemaker, he's way funnier than I am. Um, but since I'm not an entertainer, like I'm trying to provide value or teach people something in one way. It's like everything that I do, if I tell a personal story, I need to somehow turn the corner to say, this is how it relates to you. This is how it affects you. So did I misunderstand or, or do you kind of feel like there's, there's certain amount of value to be able to tell stories just so that I'm giving you a peek inside of my world? Yeah, I would say that. If you can connect a story to the value that you provide to people, it's a bonus and it's, it's a, it's definitely something worthwhile doing, but people have a pretty high capacity for finding entertainment and interest in things that don't really have direct value to them. If it's speaking to them again at an emotional level, if it's, if they're resonating with it emotionally, and this is why entertainment deals in stories, right? The reason why people are drawn to stories or the reason why entertainment is like showing us stories is because we're drawn to stories and we'll see God's stories without being told to, you don't, no one has to tell you to like turn on Netflix and go watch a TV show. You just want to <laughs> do it because you like right. stories because we all do. So there is this sense that like, oh, I, I have to tell my story, but I have to like connect it to my brand. I have to do this. And it actually does us a disservice in marketing because what you end up with is that sort of like what I call corporate storytelling, where it's like, do you know that that meme with uh, Steve Buscemi where he's like dressed as a teenager and he's like, hello, yes. fellow kids. Yeah, That's what corporate storytelling is. It's like, right. it's like, ah, yes. So I heard you like stories. Let me tell you a story <laughs> about Coca-Cola. Like, I think you're going to like this one. And it's like, no, we don't like that because it's not actually truthful. It's not actually authentically arising emotions in people. It's just very clearly on its face, a story to get you to look at the brand. Right. So if you can tell a story that is authentic and true, and you can, by the way, everybody can, if you, but when you can learn to tell a story that is authentic and true and actually connects with people and we can see you as a human or as your your story of your brand as something that like we've gone through as well that's when what basically you're you're softening the ground for future stuff which is value based and i'm more willing to then tune in the next time because i'm like oh yeah craig right he's the guy that like did xyz and like made me feel something what's he doing now oh now he's talking about his product he's offering okay now i'm a little bit more interested in that you know to take it back to that liquid death example like they, they hooked me a little bit with the branding, but it wasn't until I heard right. their story that I actually made a purchase. Right. 
Gotcha. All right. So let, let's do a little bit of a, a live story breakdown here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I described this, the situation uh, last time we talked, but you know, I, when I was like 14 years old, I went to go see um, Louis Belson, who's like a, a, a huge name in big band jazz. I was a drummer in the jazz band. I had a rock band at the time too. And, you know, my dad's like, I'm going to take you to see this concert. Concert was phenomenal. On the way out, he sees this door in the corner and he tells me, go through that door and just see what happens. It, it could be a closet for all night. I don't even know. Just walk through that door and see what happens. And I walk through, I, I've got a huge scratch down my face from a skateboarding accident you know, I'm this young kid. It's like everybody around is like super old. It ends up being the green room. This woman comes up and she's like, what do you want? You know? And I was like, I, you know, just want to see if I can meet Mr. Belson a little bit. He comes out and shakes my hand. It was this wonderful time of being able to, to meet a, a hero. Um, so those are like the basic facts. So how would I take that and package it in a way that would like be the best presentation yeah, I think that's such a compelling story. And I think the way that I would approach that is to first build up the mystique of Louis Belson. And I might hook somebody in with something like, you know, have you ever had somebody that you wanted to meet so badly you would do anything? You know, that's the bad version, right? I'm coming up with it off the top of my head, but yeah, right, the version of that. <laughs> and then you just go right to the next line is telling us who that person is. You don't have to say, oh, well, let me tell you about somebody who fits that. We, we, we know. We know the next person you're talking about is going to be that person. So you can just say that hook and then you can say, Louis Belson is one of the most acclaimed, you know, and then you just go into his, the top three accomplishments, like really dig into like why he's so great. And I would actually throw in like maybe his top three accomplishments. And then one thing that's maybe a little funny or a little bit touching about him as well. Like, you mm. know, won a Grammy, like best selling album or like, you know, whatever his accomplishments are. And then I might say, you know, search for like a little tidbit of like, and you know, he saved a, a kid from a burning building or something like that, right. you know, like some <laughs> other thing. small thing like that. Yeah. yeah. A very like minor <laughs> thing that no one really cares about. No, something that is like touching, you know, I don't know if he's ever right. saved a kid from a burning building, but if he is, that's probably something to mention. Well, I'd like to think so. So we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so you've established, hey, it's interesting to meet somebody who's your hero. Here's somebody who's heroic. Now, cut to me. And then I would play it for um, the opposite of that. Like, Louis Belson, super accomplished. You, and like, you were already alluding to it, right? Like, kids, skater kids, scar on your face, like really like play up the the difference between you and this person. And when you kind of go into the green room, you kind of even have like that like bouncer type woman who's like kind of like giving it up and down. And like, I would lean into it again. Like I maybe have had a little blood on my face. Maybe I'm sweating through my shirt and it's like the third shirt I've worn during this interview. <laughs> you know, it's like all this stuff, play that up. And then what you're kind of playing up there is like, here's a really accomplished person here I am as somebody who's like not accomplished and maybe is like a little distasteful. And then the moment you two meet, we're like looking forward to that moment. Like what's going to happen when, you know, elegant, accomplished Louis Belson meets bleeding down the side of his face, like scruffy skater kid, Craig Shoemaker, you know, what's going to happen when these two combine? And it's like this implicit promise of like something interesting is going to happen here. And it's keeping us 
listening. And then when that moment happens, that's the moment where you want to connect with your audience at an emotional level. Like, what did it feel like? Like, break that fourth wall and just say like, hey, like this moment was so impactful in my life. Like, I'm going to have to break the fourth wall here with you all and just say like, I got to tell you, they say never meet your heroes. Couldn't disagree more. And like, talk about why it was impactful. Talk about what he said. Pull out one interesting thing that he said. The one thing that resonated with you the most. And then come away from it and then give us like a reason why you're better off. Like, why did you change as a result of that story? Like, what did you learn? Mm. Um, what do you do differently now? What's something that is different about you because this story happened? That kind of brings it all back around to the point of like why you're telling the story in the first place. Right. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm going to have to experiment with, uh, with what you gave me and, and see how I do. And, you know, if I post it, you can, you can tell me what you think. Um, but one of the things that I like to do here at the end of each show is, you know, just get some, some takeaway points, three like actionable things that, uh, the audience can kind of take with them. So what, what would you give people? Yeah. So I would say first off, um, storytelling is not a gated thing. It's not just for Hollywood. It's not just for entertainment. We all tell stories. We do it all the time. We meet people at parties. We are making friends with people on the street. We're always talking in stories. It's like the language of emotions. So don't think for an instant that you, who, you who's listening to this can't tell a story. You can learn it and you already do it and you can harness that power. Um, I would say two, the reason we're telling stories is to connect with people. The world is a wash with people trying to shout value at you or sell you things or just get your attention for any number of reasons. We are trained to ignore that for the most part, but we will tune into things that we connect with. And storytelling is the best way to connect with people because of the emotional connection that it just creates. And then three, I would say, that is at the end of the day, if you take nothing else away from this discussion, the goal of a story is to make people feel something. You can make your audience feel something, have an emotional experience. You've accomplished your goal with your story. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Now, one of the easiest ways that we can stay in touch is that if you're watching on YouTube, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel if you'd like. And if you're listening to the audio version, rating on your favorite podcast app would mean the absolute world to me. So I'm Craig Shoemaker, and I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.